0: Wow, you know, if our understanding of heaven and dying is based on people's opinions, we're in trouble, aren't we? (laughs) I mean, you really can't get a bearing if all we're taking is all the different voices about what happens at death, what happens after we die, where heaven is, how you get there, a lot of different ideas. I tell you, folks, I think it's been a a tremendous journey we have been on these last 30 days to live like we were dying. I I tell you, it's been very uh, humbling, really. Uh, and in some cases challenging, to to hear some stories from some of y'all about what has happened in your life these last 30 days, some of the decisions that you're making. I've heard obviously a lot from people here inside our church, but I've been surprised how many times I've been stopped from people outside our church that listen to us on the Internet or TV or radio and uh, have been following this. I think there's a little element of our community that has kind of picked this up, and it's been, it's been exciting to see what's going on through it. You know, I say exciting, to be honest with you, for for me it's been somewhat frustrating because I realize how little I do live with the end in mind. And that's kind of been our, our key focus of living with the end in mind. And, and here we are, we're in a 30-day experiment. I mean, I've got posters all over the place I work. I'm sure you don't, but where I go to work, there's posters up to remind me all throughout the day that we're living like we were dying. And yet, folks, as I've gone through these last 30 days, I've, I've made decisions I wouldn't have made if I was really dying. I've done things I probably wouldn't have done. And and I and I've noticed I've lived whole days without a single thought of living with the end in mind. And that's when I'm trying to. It really is. And I'm assuming you're somewhat the same. It really is hard to keep that finish line in focus. But, you know, folks, we are moving to that line. Whether you sit here today and you think I've got a great life. I've got a horrible life. I'm pretty satisfied with life. I'm scared of the economy. Economy's not bothering me. I've got a good job. I don't know if I'm going to have a job tomorrow. Folks, wherever you are in life, whatever you think about life, it's moving to a point. There is a finish. There is an end. We call that death. And as was said up there in the interviews and is true pretty much throughout, it's not a topic that we're always very comfortable talking about, that, you know, it's something we try to avoid. Maybe you identify with Woody Allen. I like what he said about it. He says, it's not that I'm afraid of death. I just don't want to be there when it happens. Maybe that's kind of where you are. But you know what? Whether we deny it or whether we refuse to talk about it, it doesn't change the fact that's where we're moving to. Now, this morning, I want us to kind of work with, kind of grapple with, a very simple but very profound question. Would you believe it's only two words? A two word question. But these two words determine your future, they determine your eternity. And that two word question is this Then what? Then what? If you could get everything you want in life, boy, if I had this and this and this and this, life would be what I want. Then what? If you could have the life, maybe it's not about stuff, but, but you've got in your mind what a good life would be. I, you know, I, I would be doing this, I would be here, I would have this, there would be these people. If you could have the life you wanted, then what? If you could live a long, full life, die peacefully in your own home, surrounded by people who love you, Then what? We're going to look today at a story that Jesus told of a man by American standards. As a matter of fact, you'd think this was a story of American. You you wouldn't think this was a story 2,000 years ago in the Middle Eastern culture. We're going to look at a story of a man that was by all definitions in our world successful. He had everything that we would want, and yet he failed miserably at that two-word question, Then what? Let's look at that story. Would you turn with me this morning to Luke chapter 12? Luke chapter 12. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, we've got some in the the chairs around you. If you can't reach it, I know somebody will hand it to you. We want everybody to be able to, to look at God's Word as we study it together. Luke chapter 12, third book into the New Testament. Luke 12, I'm going to begin reading at verse 13. Luke 12, verse 13 says someone from the crowd said to him, him being Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. That's another thing that happens at death, isn't it? Fighting and arguing. Verse 14, friend, he said to him, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter over you? He then told them, watch out and be on your guard against all greed, because one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. Then he told them a parable. A rich man's land was very productive. He thought to himself, what should I do since I don't have anywhere to store my crops? I will do this, he said. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones and store all my grain and goods there. And then I'll say to myself, you have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy, eat, drink and enjoy yourself. But God said to him. You fool. This very night, your life is demanded of you and the things you have prepared. Whose will they be? That's how it is with the one who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. As I said a moment ago, this to me looks like a story right out of the United States. Our our key figure here in the story, I think you'd find him on the cover of CEO, we'd see him interviewed on MSNBC. Why this guy might even have a television show where we see him hire and fire people. I mean, he is a successful businessman. He has started a business, he's he's built the business, expanded it, and now he's able to sell it off. He is a millionaire by the age of 30, and by the age of 40, he is a millionaire many times over. Very successful. This is somebody we applaud. This is somebody we want to learn from, and yet God sums up his life with one word. You're a fool. Why, God? Why would you sum up his life as a fool? As a matter of fact, I'm wondering, is there is there a verse missing here? Did I did I miss something? I'm I'm looking through here and the, the passage doesn't say the guy was evil or wicked. It, it doesn't say that he mistreated people. It doesn't say that he cut corners in business. It doesn't refer to anything that he did wrong. And yet, when God defines, when God judges his life, he uses one word we translated in the English Fool, the actual Greek word there is, I think you're going to be able to understand it, moron. God called him a moron. And yet, as Jesus tells the story, all the guy is is a a sharp, shrewd, successful businessman. Why does God sum up his whole life as a moron? Because as Jesus is pointing out, while he filled this life up, He left the next life empty. He never dealt with the then what question. Now as we understand this story a little bit more, as we maybe work it around a little bit, we understand that he failed at answering this then what question in three very specific ways. There's three ways he missed the then what question. The first thing he did is that he lived as if this life is all there is. That's a costly, that's a fatal miscalculation. This life is all there is. You know, we all have a philosophy of life. We we may not consider ourselves philosophers, but we all have a philosophy of life. We've all decided what life is about, what makes it good, what makes it successful, and we've got a game plan for achieving that. You're living your game plan right now, and you're going to live it tomorrow. You're living out the game plan for the life you want. Now, this guy's philosophy is that life is all about the here and now. You know, you grab it the first time around. You, you get the gusto. It's about right here, right now. And if that's my philosophy, I don't have time for a then what question. I, I don't have time to stretch out there and try to think about or, or grab a hold of eternity. Man, my philosophy is it's right now, this life, this world. That is what counts you know what, as I was saying earlier, as I've seen in my own life these last 30 days, it's not that hard to get kind of stuck thinking that way. It's not that hard to slip into living for today until every now and then we get kind of a, a shock. We get a, a reshifting on our focus. Paul Azinger was a, uh, or is a, a professional golfer. It came down with, with cancer. And as he was dealing with the inevitability of his own death, and that shock upon his system, he said the thing that kind of guided him, challenged him the most was something that the chaplain of the PGA Tour said to him. He said, you know, Paul, we live like we're in the land of the living and we're going to the land of the dying. When the truth of the matter is, it's exactly the opposite. We're in the land of the dying. We're in the land of the end. We're in the land of the temporary. We're going to the land of the living. We are going to live Forever somewhere. Not necessarily in the same places, but we're going to live forever. I'm going to say what I think I've said just about every single Sunday to live today in the temporary. With no thought of the eternal and where I'm going to be forever is insane. It is. Gosh, I hate to say this, but it's as God said, that's just stupid. That's just foolish. Now, there's another mistake that comes out of this philosophy of life. When you're, when you're living for the here and now, then the driver of your life becomes more. More. That's what life is all about. Getting more. He wants more grain, more goods, more and bigger barns. We want more travel, more experiences, more relationships, more life. More, more, more. How do you like it? How do you like it? More. I'm sorry, my iPod just shuffled over to 70s favorites. I, back to sermon here. I apologize for that. I, I realize there's probably somebody in here I've just lost for the rest of the sermon. I, I apologize, Lord, you work on getting them back. But you know, that's what it is. It's more, more, more. That's the one drive. When I get up today, what is it to do? It's to get more of something. As we talked about last week, it may be to go out and get more revenge. But It's more. You know, folks, have you ever thought about how much of our life is consumed by this word more? Think about how much time, how much money, how much energy, how much anxiety you spend on stuff. I mean, just the time. I've got to go out and I've got to buy stuff. Then I've got to carry this stuff home. I've got to put the stuff away. Then I've got to get the stuff out. Then I've got to fix the stuff. Then I've got to maintain the stuff. And then my favorite part, ultimately, I have to dispose of the stuff. Folks, do you realize... How much of our life is for filling up landfills? I mean, I have it in my hands and I'm enjoying it. I'm, I'm not, it's, while it's in my hands, it's enjoyable. It makes life better, makes life easier, like, makes life more fun. But it's just passing through my hands out to the landfill. My life is filling up landfills. Folks, if you're living for the here and now, your life is by definition totally soaked, sunk, In the temporary. You're doing just what this guy did right here. And that means you'll never experience anything but temporary happiness, temporary fulfillment, temporary meaning. And when you step into eternity, because you will go there, you will discover a terrible emptiness. And that's forever. See, it's important we ask that then what question. Our key figure here never asked that question and he got stuck in that philosophy of just living for now. And that led to a, a second thing that you do and that's the second mistake that he made and that is he believed he always had more time. I guess when you're just living for now you always have to count on more time. Because if I'm just living for now, I might need more time later to fix anything I didn't get the most out of right here and right now. But he lives thinking, you know what, I've always got more time. We see him here, he's planned, he's prepared. This guy's living the dream. You know, he's retiring early. And Look at, look at the arrogance there. I've got it all set up. I've got all the bases covered. I've got all the contingencies taken care of. And now I'm ready to live the rest of my life in this way I've designed. There's just one problem. God said tonight. Now, folks, the Bible's not against planning and preparing. I can take you to verse after verse that talks about the importance of of wisdom, of of being of planning things out, of of being prepared. But you know what? There's a place where we're planning, we're preparing, we're planning, we're preparing. And all of a sudden we cross the line, we slip over into presuming. We presume upon God that I've got all the time. As a matter of fact, I'm owed this time. I'm guaranteed this time to bring out all of my plans and preparations. That is until God says tonight. You know, this series has kind of obviously, as you know, kind of got started from a, a country song. And in that country song, it's, it's telling a story, as, as all country songs do. Telling a story about the guy that goes to the to the doctor, and he, he gets the report that we all wonder about, we all you know dread, we all fear. He gets the report, and you know, all of a sudden that changes everything. But I mean, isn't that real? I mean, folks, think about how much in our lives we're we're getting educated, we're getting trained, we're getting a job, we're building, we're gathering, we're getting a house, we're getting cars, we're getting clothes, we're taking care of kids, we're doing, and we've got our whole life mapped out, we're trying to accomplish all these things. And all it takes is a spot, just a spot on an x-ray. And it all changes. All it takes is the blink of an eye in a car. And all of a sudden, everything changes. You see, this idea of more time, it's an illusion that we live under, an illusion that we're in control. That I'm in control of what's going to be happening. I'm in control of life. That is, we're in control right up to the point that God says, tonight, your life is required. You know, have you thought about how little we are in control, even when we're in our, in our most control? And folks, so much of our life is defined by where I'm born, who I'm born to, the timing of my birth, my ethnicity. I mean, so much of that defines my life. I had no control over any of that. And then as we've been for these last 30 days, we go out to the other end, the day, the way of our death, no control there. I mean, we have so little control, and yet we live like we do. We live like I've got control of all of these things. You know, folks, I'm going to be honest with you. As, As much as I see the scripture teaching me this, I absolutely plan on waking up tomorrow. I do. I do. I, I I got my 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 little Blackberry. I know what my schedule is. I know what my points are. I've got it filled in for tomorrow. I've got it filled in for this week. And I absolutely, I believe with all my heart, I'm going to see every one of those appointments. I'm going to go to all those places. I'm going to do all those things I have planned for this week. I plan on living this week. I plan on living all of 2009. And so do you. V- very little really shakes us out of that. That brings us into any kind of 30 days. Very little for most of us will do that other than some kind of crisis experience. But, you know, folks, even even if we are given a long, full life, you go talk to somebody that's in their 80s. I hear a consistent message from every single one of them. I can't believe how fast it went. Where did it go? And if you are given a long, full life, you wake up and say, oh, my gosh, what happened to it? Where did it go? Nothing wrong with planning on tomorrow. Preparing for tomorrow. There is something wrong with presuming upon God that he owes you tomorrow. Because while most of us will have tomorrow. God can come to every single one of us tonight. You know, what has been interesting about this series is look at time in, in, in three ways. There's today, then there's tomorrow, this week, the year to come, and then there's Eternity. I think the Scripture is kind of guiding us to not be so focused on tomorrow, this week, and next year as it is to be focused on today because there is an eternity. The Bible wants two time frames in front of us. Today, today counts because I'm moving to eternity. And so that's the third mistake this guy made is he did not live today in light of tomorrow. He didn't do anything today that was about what was to come. You know, when you look at our the, the interviews there that, that we saw on the street, and, and even if you come off of that video, you look at a Gallup poll, a Harris poll, you look at any kind of study of people at any time in history, folks, people believe in heaven. Yeah, you find that individual, I we saw one, I, I don't believe, that you die and that's it. And you might think that you hear a lot of that, but folks, the fact is, Throughout all of history, throughout all of humanity, throughout all cultures, there is a general belief that there is something more. There's something next. What's amazing with as broad as that belief is across humanity, how irrelevant it stays in our lives. I mean, while while we believe it's out there, what impact is it having on today? Joseph Stoll wrote a book called Eternity. In there he said, eternity is primary. Heaven is the first and ultimate point of reference. I love that phrase, point of reference. Folks, a point of reference is a starting point. You can't map anything to anywhere unless you tell where you're starting. You've got to go to the place on the map where you are. You've got to go to the place on the map where you're starting. Otherwise, you can't map anything out. But when I've got heaven as my point of reference, you ready for this? When you've got heaven as the place that you're going, guess what? That maps out a direction through your marriage through the good times in your marriage and through the bad times in your marriage. When you've got heaven as your point of reference, that maps out a financial plan in a good economy and in a bad economy. When you've got heaven as a point of reference, it guides you through every single decision that you're making. And that's why he goes on to say, success demands that we live and think and breathe about now in light of then. Folks, heaven is God's gift for you. Heaven is God's will for you. Heaven is God's direction for you in this life. And he doesn't want anybody to miss it. We don't want anybody to miss it. This issue of what happens next, this issue of then what is the single most important question in life. There, there is no second place. Oh my gosh, it's incredibly important who I'm going to marry and what that marriage is going to be like, what I'm going to do for a living and how that's going to go and where I'm going to live and are we going to do this. That stuff is all just overwhelmingly important until all of a sudden God says, Tonight. Boy, the priority list changes real quick then, doesn't it? And folks, guess what? It's coming. I don't know when it's coming for you. I don't know when it's coming for me. But that sentence will come. Tonight, your life is required of you. And you're either prepared or you're not. As a matter of fact, let me, let me throw a real curveball at you. You could do everything we've talked about the last 30 days. You could speak sweeter, love deeper, give forgiveness. You could do all that. You could do it better than everybody else in the room. That doesn't mean you're prepared. What? In here for now let me tell you what those things do those things make that appointment with god go better for the prepared they don't make you prepared for that group of people that are the prepared that makes that appointment a real celebration makes that appointment go really well but if you're not prepared those things won't change that because there's only one thing that prepares you. We've talked a lot about this last month. About being reconciled with each other. Well, folks be prepared to go to heaven. You have to be reconciled to God. And we're not reconciled with him. Outside of Christ. We're not reconciled. You hear all the, the people here. So much. And it's you. Whatever their country. Whatever the, the denominational religious title. It is so natural for man to think these words good enough. I've been good enough. I've tried to be good. I'm better than you. You know, we we measure ourselves. Folks, it doesn't matter if you've been good enough. Before you even get started, God has already said you're an enemy of his. He said that to me. Romans chapter five. Outside of Christ, I'm his enemy. Ephesians chapter two. I'm a child of wrath. Romans chapter three. I'm a sinner. I am living life in rebellion and in opposition to him. Romans chapter six, the wages, the product of living the life of sin is death. That's separation from God. I'm not talking about when we go into the ground. I'm talking about separation from God for all eternity. That's how my life is outside of prior to Christ. And for a reason I cannot explain, God loved me anyway. And he loves you anyway. Anyway. He was not satisfied to leave you in that condition. And he sent a way. He sent an opportunity for you to have a path of reconciliation. And that way is his son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ went to the cross. He died on that cross. He was resurrected. And through that death and resurrection, your sin is paid for. Through that death and resurrection, your life is fixed. And through that death and resurrection, you have a path back To reconciliation with God. You can move from being a child of wrath. To being a child of God. Is what John chapter 1 says. You can move from being unreconciled to God. Or irreconciled. To being reconciled. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I can be reconciled to God. Not because of how good I am. Not because of the religion I pick. Or the denomination I pick. Not because of anything I do. Other than to receive God's gift for me. The gift of Jesus Christ. Who makes a path back to God for me. And folks, you know, when we trust Christ, when we cross that line of faith and I trust in Christ for that salvation, I want you to understand something, he's not calling you to trust him until the fire insurance papers are filled out. When I say I trust Christ for eternity, that means I'm going to trust him for this temporary, too. That's why we're called Christ followers. If I believe he has the way back To God for me, that means I also believe he has the way to walk through this life. I'm going to follow him and his way through this life. Do you have that relationship with Jesus Christ? Have you been reconciled to God? Let me finish the way we began almost 30 days ago with that very simple verse in Hebrews chapter 9. It says it's been appointed unto people. It's been appointed unto you. You have an appointment to die once and then judgment folks. There's there's the answer to the then what question. Then what? Then the judgment. That's the what? Are you prepared for that what? I would say there is a good chance that if you're not prepared, you'll probably have another chance next Sunday. I would say there's a good chance that you might have a chance sometime during 2009 to to come to that decision and to make that decision. I'd say there's a pretty good chance if you're asking me. But we're talking about all of eternity. And while I'd say there's a good chance, I don't know for a fact that God's not coming to you tonight and saying tonight. Are you prepared? You know, as we can conclude this series, I want to leave you with with three lessons that I've, I've taken from it that I'm trying to get anchored in my soul. Three lessons I want to keep trying to live with, whether it's 30 days or less or more. First lesson I've learned is, I am moving toward an appointment with God. Man, if I could just wake up with that thought every single day. I am moving toward an appointment with God. I don't know if that appointment's going to happen in 12 more minutes, 12 more hours, 12 more years. But that's where I'm going. That's where I'm moving toward. I need to be prepared. I want to live with that thought. Secondly, I need to live today. You've heard me say this over and over. I need to live today with, with how I want that appointment to go. And that's what we've been talking about a lot during this series. And I want that appointment to go well. Well, we haven't talked about everything that makes that appointment go well, but I'll tell you what, speaking sweeter, loving deeper, giving forgiveness, I think that can be a big part of making that a great appointment. And lastly, as I get so overwhelmed by this thought of the eternal, I want today to be more and more and more about God and people. And less and less and less about stuff. You know what? As I look at those lessons, as I think about those lessons, I think there are times that those lessons will be very easy to think on and, and act on. I think there's times it'll be very difficult, be very difficult to think, OK, now what's the ramification of that lesson? What's that mean here? Ooh, I don't want to do that. That's hard. There's times that if I live out these lessons, I think there'll be a real benefit, a real profit, if you will. I think there's other times that if I live out these lessons. It'll cost. But, you know, I got to thinking it. Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if these lessons bring me a profit. It doesn't matter if they bring me a cost. It doesn't matter if these lessons make life wonderful and good or if it makes, these, makes life hard and difficult. Because whatever it does in this life, it's just temporary. However you see your life at this very moment right now, it is temporary. Heaven is forever. Hell is forever. Don't be a fool. Let's pray. Father, there are people in this room right now that are not prepared. If that night was tonight. They're not prepared. Lord, I pray that right now what they hear is not the sound of my voice, but I I pray they hear the whisper of the Holy Spirit and they feel your touch. And I pray that right now they would hear you saying that you love them. and That you have so much for them. That they would hear and understand that it is out of kindness. That right now you're telling them you're not ready. And Father, for anybody like that in this room, I pray that today would be the day they cross over the line of faith that today would be the day they would realize there is nothing more important than this. Lord, would you do that work that only you can do to transform them from being a child of wrath to being a child of God? God, I trust thou that even as I'm praying, you are moving through this room and you're doing that work in hearts right now. Father, for many of us that are prepared. I pray that you would help us to get more focused. To have the courage, to have the discipline. To get better and better at living with the end in mind. At living how we want that appointment to go. God, you've given us everything we need so that appointment with you can be the best moment of our life. You've given us the Bible that tells us how to do everything. You have given us the Holy Spirit that will guide and instruct and empower and help. Gosh, you've given us everything to win. Lord, help us not be stupid. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.